right, Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the program. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills, and I am super glad to have you here today. Uh, today, we are going to talk about the Michael Dredgka shooting, and uh, we're going to we're going to talk about whether or not it was actually justified. We're going to go in detail with that. Uh, but first, I want to thank our sponsors here at Lone Star Gun Talk, and that is The Bunker. The Bunker is a veteran-owned and operated small business in the Texas Hill Country, specializing in products for those who long to thrive in the outdoors. Whether you are looking for unique tactical gifts or preparing for natural or man-made events, they have the products just for you. Go to thebunkertexas.com to check out their full inventory of bug out bags, tactical packs, first aid kits, MREs, and much, much more. Anything that you need uh, in the case of a hurricane, a tornado, natural disaster, or apocalypse. Uh, be sure to enter promo code LSGR at checkout to let them know that we sent you and you will receive 10% off your order. Again, that is thebunkertexas.com promo code LSGR as in Lone Star Gun Rights. It'll let you know let them know that we sent you and you will receive 10% off. Again, thebunkertexas.com. Check them out today. All right, so we're going to talk about the Michael Dredgka shooting and to uh, to help us out with that, we have the owner of Central Texas Gunworks in Austin, Texas, the host of Come and Talk It that you can hear every Sunday. And the pimp hand of the great Republic of Texas, Michael Cargill. Michael, welcome to Lone Star Gun Talk, sir. Oh, man. Thank you for having me, Derek. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, my friend. Uh, okay, so we're gonna, we're talking Michael Dredgka and Marquise McLaughlin. Uh, it happened in Clearwater, Florida on July 19th. And I posted on our Facebook page how I didn't think that the shooting was justified. And... I feel that it's there is more than enough to warrant a murder charge or an indictment and then have this sent to trial. We got quite a bit of kickback from that. And uh, from what I understand, you don't necessarily agree with that either. Correct? That's correct. No, I don't. Okay, so what did you see in the video that leads you to believe that this was a justified shooting? Uh, well, it's, it's clear that this gentleman... Uh, was inside the store with his son. And when he came outside, he noticed that someone was arguing with his girlfriend or a significant other or whatever. And so when he approached the gentleman, he pushed this guy, knocked him all the way down to the ground. This gentleman, when when I look at the video, what I notice is the guy who's defending himself didn't really notice the guy coming out of the store. When he pushed him all the way down to the ground, and the way the law is written, if you're fear, you know that someone's going to lose your life, this guy is stand, hovering over you, then you you clearly justified in protecting yourself. And he decided to pull his gun out. Once he pulled his gun out, then that gentleman started backing up. But by that time, he had already started his action and started firing shots. And by that time, it was too late. Now we do talk uh, you know against this in class you know for one the the handgun license holder first of all you're not a one-armed security team trained to clear entire building it is not up to you to police the neighborhood 
you see something that's wrong, something's going on. What we teach in class is a little conflict resolution. You know what? Something's going on. Someone's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. But you know what? We're going to do the responsible thing, and we're going to contact the police and let law enforcement handle that situation. I'm not going to take you know matters into my own hands because someone's parked in a handicapped parking space, and I don't like it. And I don't feel that situations should go from, my goodness, a handicapped parking space is someone losing their life. But yes, I clearly believe you know, that he's justified, and that's why the sheriff's department did not bring charges, did not recommend charges, and that's probably why uh, the DA or the state attorney is not going to recommend charges if they do. If they do take this to a grand jury and the grand jury does indict this guy, he's clearly going to be found not guilty. Just by looking at the video and everyone's actions in the video, I can clearly see what he will be found not guilty, not a doubt in my mind. So if it were to go to trial, I can't say either way that uh, it would be a guilty or not guilty verdict because there's always more evidence that comes out. Um, you know, we don't know the dialogue that that happened between them from the time that he got pushed. If there was any, we don't know the dialogue that was going on uh, as he was, uh, as Dredgeko was yelling at uh, McLaughlin's girlfriend. We don't know any of that. All we have is a silent video that shows uh, it shows McLaughlin coming up, it, shoving him to the ground, and backing off at some point. Uh, so I can't say either way if it would be a guilty or not guilty verdict, but I do see at least enough in that to have an indictment handed down because, you know, there is there is a hesitation. From what I can see in the video, it's 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 not a two second from the time he goes down to the time he puts rounds on target. It's it looks to me like there's a two second delay from the time he draws his weapon and takes aim until he fires the shot. So to me, it seems like there was a, a little bit of hesitation, and that right there um, shows him backing up. And that would warrant an indictment in, in my mind. What do you think about that? No, I, I, honestly, I, I, I can't see anything happen to this guy. Because when you look at the stand your ground law, you know, if you have a right to be somewhere, uh, if you're not committing a crime, if you feel that someone's committing aggravated kidnapping, for example, in Texas, aggravated kidnapping, murder, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault, robbery, aggravated robbery, then you're justified using force or deadly force to stop that person. If you're justified using force, stop them, then you're just by using daily force to stop them when it comes to you protecting yourself. So if he would have been justified using force to stop that guy from knocking him down and because he felt this guy was you know, trying to kill him, then he would be justified using daily force. And a good attorney will argue that in case, that case in court, and there's no way in the world um, I can see them wasting their time in doing this. But, but then there's public opinion. You know, because if, if the public outcry is loud enough, which that's a possibility, then they could go ahead and say, you know what, forget it. We'll just go ahead and bring charges and let a grand jury just no bill this guy, or let a grand jury decide to take it to court and you know, and and, and then let a, another jury decide whether or not he's guilty or not guilty because they don't want to deal with the the public outcry. But honestly, in a situation like that, I I really can't see um, where this guy just by looking at those actions now. Keep in mind, this is not something that I would put myself um, 
and, and be involved in because I see something like this. Number one, I'm not going to put myself in that situation because I'm not going to be that person that gets out of my car to confront someone about parking in a handicapped parking space. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm not going to be that person that gets, you know, that gets out of my car yelling and screaming at someone to put myself in a situation where their, you know, their other company or whoever decides to assault me mm-hmm. because basically that's what that is. Right. So obviously a lot of people, uh, well, they say, well, he was ultimately asking for it because he decided to put himself in that situation. And yeah, it was not smart for him to put himself in that situation, but ultimately even that didn't cause the shooting to happen. It started the chain reaction that ultimately led to that, but really all of that, that is, is, what, is what he did is what he did was a crime by getting out of his vehicle and confronting someone. As a regular citizen, you can do that. Right. It may not be smart, but you can do that. You can confront someone and say, hey, you're breaking the law. What you're doing is you're parking the handicapped parking space. You don't have a handicapped sticker. You don't have a placard or anything, so you need to move. And he decides to get into that verbal confrontation with them. Right. There's nothing and wrong with that. No, you're right. There is nothing, there's nothing legally wrong with that. Uh, it's, it's definitely not something illegal, and yes, uh, Marquise McLaughlin shoving him to the ground is an, an is an assault, which is illegal. Um, but at what point do you? De- the thing is, there's kind of a fine line that gets drawn here. Um, you know, obviously, it would have been clear cut if he had shoved him to the ground, continued pursuing him, standing, you know, being on top of him and bashing his face in. Had he pulled out his weapon and shot, then it would be clear cut, no questions asked. But he shoved him to the ground, and he seems to be pacing back and forth. And then he sees the gun, and he starts backing up, and then he gets shot. And that's where this whole gray area comes in that was this really justified. And, uh, you know, at what point is that line drawn? Because if somebody witnesses an assault, let's just say you're walking down the street, and you see somebody uh, walk up to another random person, punches them in the face, and then starts walking away. At what point does your uh, does your justification of force or deadly force become no longer justified? Sure. And in a situation like where you're talking about here, you're coming in on the middle of something. You don't have you don't know what's going on. You don't know what happened before that. So you're going to take pause. You're going to go a little slower with your actions. But in a situation where you're involved and you're the person that's being assaulted and you're laying on the ground on your back or your side, and you're looking up at this person that's hovering over you, it's going to go to what did you reasonably believe was necessary for you to stop that? Okay. Well, then uh, we'll phrase it this way. At what point, if somebody randomly comes up to you and punches you in the face and then starts walking away, at what point does your retaliation and justification of force no longer become justified. Hey, that person's leaving. You got to let him go. Mm-hmm. Unless, I mean, under the law. Because now, I, their feelings, I understand there are a lot of feelings involved in all this kind of stuff. But I don't, I try to remove feelings from that. And I look at the way our laws are actually written. In a situation like that, a person comes up, they punch you, they turn around, they walk away. You got to let them go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you do unless they're, you know, uh, unless they robbed you, you know, aggravated robbery or you know something like that, and then you're trying to recover some type of property. 
right. situation like that, they're walking away. You got to let them go under the law. Right. And under no circumstances am I suggesting that we should hesitate, should we find ourselves in a life or death situation or, or justified in, in cases like this. But uh, many times, merely just drawing the weapon is enough to neutralize the situation. You don't ever have to squeeze the trigger. And we shouldn't be carrying with the mentality that if I draw, I have to shoot. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should we should hesitate or take pause, you know, because we're talking milliseconds counting here. It depends on the situation, obviously. But again, it seems like in this situation, just merely drawing his weapon would have been, uh, was enough to neutralize the threat because he was starting to back up as he saw that. Uh, what do you think about that? And I, I know it's hard to speak because, you know, this wasn't you involved in this situation. It wasn't me involved in this situation. I don't know exactly what was happening and what was going through uh, Michael Dredgka's mind at the moment. But, you know, there there are multiple instances where merely drawing your weapon is enough to, you know, stop the situation. Okay. And I agree with you there 100%. But look at what you just said. All right. So he would you, – you're – you're thinking if you find yourself yourself in that particular situation, then force would have been enough because that's what you're talking about using force. Well, under the law, it says, hey, if you're justified using force, then you're justified using daily force when it comes to you protecting yourself. There is no difference between you protecting yourself and using force to stop someone or you protecting yourself to use daily force to stop someone. Because if you're justified in using one, you're justified in using the other. Correct. Okay, so – um, so let's take the legal standpoint out of this. Um, and let me just ask you your personal opinion. Would you have, uh, had you found yourself in this situation for whatever reason, something came over you and you felt that you really needed to yell at this young woman for parking in a handicapped spot and you got shoved to the ground. Um, would you have felt that discharging your weapon would have been required? No, maybe just like you said, displaying that weapon to use force would have been a better judgment than taking someone's life. The last thing you want to do is really take someone's life. But, you know, I'm not in his mindset. I don't know what was going through his head. I honestly don't know what he saw. You know, I can't tell the distance, how close they were, and what he perceived. You know, but me, I would have, you know, said, okay, okay, stop, you know, right there. I probably never even would have drawn my, my gun. Um, in a situation like that. But if I did, then, hey, maybe force just by saying, hey, stop, and displaying that firearm. And then once you do that, you know, still law enforcement is going to respond because now you just pull the gun out. Correct. So, you know, someone is definitely going to go to jail <laughs> because a, a, now a gun is being involved, is in, has been thrown into the equation. So, but, you know, there's just some things to think about there. Right, but at least nobody would have died. And, you know, I... I guess my hang up on this shooting is that uh, ultimately what happened is somebody's life was lost over a dispute involving a parking spot and an assault that would otherwise have been neutralized just by use of force and not technically deadly force. And I guess that's what my hang up is on this and why I'm saying that it sh it's not really okay and, and why it should at least go to a grand jury. Um, but you know, you 
you obviously feel differently for, you know, many, many reasons. Um, is there anything else about this case that kind of stands out to you um, that might help justify your line outside of the fact that, uh, outside of just the video? No, and, and you're correct. You know, you, you find yourself, this is what this is, the teachable moment. This is the moment where we have to say, okay, um, number one, don't put your hands on someone else because we have in Texas, for an example, we have over a million license holders. Don't put yourself in a situation where you walk out of a store or something like that. You put your hands on someone or you're driving down the road. You get out of your vehicle and you approach someone's vehicle you know, starts bang and start banging on their window or their windows down and you reach inside their vehicle and you touch them. You know, because if you do, then that person will perceive you as a threat and that you're trying to kill them. And then, you know, then we're talking about the castle doctrine. We're not gonna be talking about staying your ground at that point. You know, then the castle doctrine comes into the play. So, you know, and so we have to look at all of that. And then also on the other side is hey, don't be so quick. To, to approach someone, you know, and do things like that. You know, we, you shouldn't put your hands on someone. And also, as a license holder, we need to start using conflict resolution to try to calm those situations down. Because carrying that gun is a very big responsibility, and you're going to be held to a much higher standard when you get a license and you're carrying a handgun. And so license holders need to remember that, and everyone else needs to remember we really need to be a lot nicer to each other and not put ourselves in those types of situations. Absolutely. There, you know, when I know that you uh, were in the army, I was in the Navy, I'm sure you were taught the same thing, but there is such thing as escalation of force and that you're, uh, what, what I was taught is that you're supposed to try and neutralize the situation with the lowest means of force available that can reasonably be employed. And it just seems to me like this situation went straight from, um, you know, verbal commands to deadly force and lesser means weren't even attempted. And I know that's not technically what uh, people in the civilian sector are taught, uh, but maybe it should be. What do you think? There's, there are a couple of videos I, I like to show in my class where we're talking about use of force and deadly force. Uh, one of those videos is a guy staying outside a vehicle, yelling, screaming, cursing, banging on the window, telling the person to get out of the vehicle, get out of the vehicle. He's just cursing. He goes around the other side of the vehicle. The window's down. He's yelling, screaming, cursing. And then I'll ask everyone in the class, what would you do? You have a gun in the vehicle. What would you do? And so some people will say, you know, hey, you know, uh, I'll shoot him. Or I'll do this and I'll do that. You know, but – and then I explained to them. I said, okay, now, now that we've looked at this video and you guys have told me your response, now let's think about it, okay? One. The castle doctrine says, hey, if someone's attempting to enter your vehicle unlawfully or remove you from your vehicle unlawfully, you can use force of daily force to stop it. So in a situation like that, did you perceive that he was trying to enter the vehicle? And so just about everyone would say, yes, we think he was trying to enter the vehicle because he was banging on the window and all that stuff. I said, okay, now. Then I'll, I'll fast forward. I'll put it on the point where the window was down and he was on the passenger side. And he could have reached inside that vehicle and reached in and grabbed whoever he was cursing and screaming at, which was a female on the passenger side. 
I said, okay, now the window is down. What do you think now? Was he trying to get in the vehicle? And everyone was, then they changed their mind and said, no. They said, no. I said, hold on. We're in the jury room right now. You're in the jury, you're in the jury room with the members, you know, your peers. So since we're in this jury room, you tell me, you know, was he attempting to enter the vehicle or was he not trying to get in the vehicle? Which one is it? And now they're like, oh, I don't know. I said, okay. As a license holder, you need to remember this. Do you want to put your hands or your life in the hands of the jury? Do you want the jury to decide your fate? Because I hope it's not Friday. Because if it is on Friday, the jury does not want to come back over the weekend. They do not want to come back on Monday. And so they don't care about you. They just care about going home that day and not coming back. So now you guys are, I don't know, you're like 50-50 now. So do you want to put it in the hands of the jury and let you know the jury decide the rest of your life? And that's what it boils down to. So if you were to give one piece of advice to anybody who is a license holder in the state of Texas or anywhere in the U.S. really, um, what would that be? Make sure that gun is your very last option. That is your final option. Because when you pull that gun out, that could be 10 seconds or 15 seconds that will change your life forever. And all these use of force cases that we talk about, they only last about 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 max, and the entire situation is over. And so you'll go back and you'll think about it. It's like, man, I should have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. But I guarantee you, this guy that pulled the trigger, he's sitting back right now probably wishing he hadn't done it. He hadn't gotten out of this vehicle, especially if this case goes, does go to trial. You know, so he'll he'll sit back and think about that. So make sure that gun is your very last option, because when you pull that gun out, your life will change, and it will change forever. And particularly if you squeeze the trigger, because you can't take that back. You can at least reholster your weapon after if you don't shoot it. But if you fire around, you can't take that back. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Michael, thank you for uh, coming on the program and and teaching us a little bit and, and explaining what uh, some of the legal aspects are, as well as maybe some of the practical aspects uh, of how our mentality should change. Um, you are uh, you're the owner of Central Texas Gunworks in Austin. If, uh, if somebody's in Austin and they're looking to find a firearm or take an LTC class, where can they find you? Man, go to centraltexasgunworks.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Facebook page, Central Texas Gunworks, but definitely go to our website, which is centraltexasgunworks.com, and you can I mean, we do gun sales. We do a lot of license to carry handgun courses. We do about three or four courses a week, and I make sure that I'm teaching every one of my classes because this is really important to me, and I want everyone that walks away from that class to really learn and understand the law because this is very important. Once you get that license, you start carrying that gun, whether you get a license or not. You start carrying a gun, you're going to be held to a much higher standard, and a much higher standard than that once you get your license. But you know what, Derek? More guns equals less crime. So definitely go out there and buy yourself a gun. And buy it from Central Texas Gunworks if you're in Austin because you will find no better customer service uh, than Michael Cargill because he's just the best. Like I said, he's the pimp hand of the Republic of Texas. 
So, uh, <laughs> also, he's the host of Come and Talk It, and you can find Come and Talk It on uh, Facebook as well, correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Well, cool. Uh, Michael, if you have anything else uh, to to leave us with, by all means, the stage is yours. Uh, but if not, and, you know, you have an open invitation to come back anytime. Absolutely, Derek. Man, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoy the podcast. I really do. You you bring a lot of information to the people. Um, and, you know, I actually learn a lot by listening to you. And I try to catch every every show I possibly can. Oh, well, that, 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 that that's right in the feels, man. That's you hit me in my heart. And this is why I love you, because you're, you're such a you're such a good man and you're such a good friend. And you know just how to make me feel oh so special. Anyway, uh, Michael, thank you very much for your time. You have yourself a wonderful rest of your day, okay? Yes, sir. You do the same. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. So for today's Founders Reading, I want to talk about uh, the, the famous quote that we always bring up from Benjamin Franklin, and that is, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And we bring this up a lot in the Second Amendment world, but where does this quote really come from? Well, it, it comes from a letter that Benjamin Franklin wrote to the governor of Pennsylvania on November 11th, 1755. And a little bit uh, of history behind this letter, um, obviously this wasn't the United States of America, this was the colony of Pennsylvania, and so we were still under the jurisdiction of the crown at the time. And the governor of Pennsylvania had wanted to raise money for uh, the militias out on the frontier. and he, But he also wanted to do so without raising taxes, uh, which sounds like a very conservative thing to do. We want to raise money for uh, defense, but we don't want to raise taxes. Well, the problem is back then, we the assemblies lived within their means. There wasn't copious amounts of spending, so there weren't many cuts that were available. And uh, there weren't any sort of reallocations of funds that could happen. I mean, there were, but it wasn't enough to do what the government was doing. So he had said that he would not sign any piece of legislation that raised taxes as long as... uh, But he definitely wanted to increase these supplies for the militias on the frontier. Well, Benjamin Franklin, who served on the Pennsylvania Assembly at this time, uh, had submitted a tax bill to the governor's desk. And he was essentially, I mean, it was already, it was essentially being rejected by the governor. And this was his reply to that, and this is just in part, but I will link the whole thing if you care to read it, as I, as I always do. Indeed, all bills for raising money for public use are so far of the same kind, but this differs greatly from every former bill that has been offered him, and all of the amendments of any consequence which he has proposed to the bill he last refused are in this bill admitted, save that for totally exempting the proprietary estate. And we being as desirous as the governor to avoid any dispute on the head, have so framed the bill as to submit it entirely to his majesty's royal determination whether that estate has or has not a right to such exemption. 
There is so much time allowed by the bill that the king's pleasure may possibly be known even before the first assessment. But it is moreover provided that if any time during the continuance of the act, the crown should think it fit to declare that this estate's of the proprietary of this prominence ought to be exempted. In such cases, the tax, though assessed, shall not be levied, or any, or if any part has been levied, the same shall be refunded to the proprietaries in addition, in an additional tax laid on the people to supply the deficiency. Our assemblies of late have had so many supply bills of such different kinds rejected on various pretenses. Some for not complying with obsolete occasional instructions, though other acts exactly of the same tenor have been passed since those instructions and received the royal assent. Some for being inconsistent with the supposed spirit of an act of parliament, when the act of itself did not in any way affect us, being made expressly for the colonies. Some for being as the, as the governor was pleased to say, quote, of an extraordinary nature without informing us wherein that extraordinary nature consisted, and others for disagreeing with the new discovered meanings and forced constructions of a clause in the proprietary commission, that we are now really at a loss to define what a bill, what bill can possibly pass. In fine, we have the most sensible concern for the poor distressed inhabitants of the frontiers. We have taken every step in our power consistent with the just rights of the free men of Pennsylvania for their relief, and we have reason to believe that in the midst of their distress, they themselves do not wish us to go further. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Such as were inclined to defend themselves but unable to purchase arms and ammunition have, as we are informed, been supplied with both, and as far as arms could be procured out of monies given by the last assembly for the king's use, and the large supply of money offered by this bill might enable the governor to do everything else that should be judged necessary for his farther security, if he shall think fit to accept it. So what Franklin is ultimately saying is here is the governor has rejected every bill that we have proposed that has been within the power of the general assembly to pass in order to fund the militia operation out on the frontier and he even says that those on the frontier who are in this you know awful situation without adequate supplies don't want the government of the colony of Pennsylvania to go any further and that is where he says we're not going to do anything else from this because essentially what you're asking for us to do is to go in and, and seize arms, ammunition, supplies, and money from the free men of the colony of Pennsylvania in order to fund the campaign. And we're not going to do that. We're not going to give up our essential liberties of uh, life, liberty, and property in order to purchase uh, temporary safety for those men out on the frontier. Because if we do that, then we deserve neither. We don't deserve security and we don't deserve uh, liberty because we have, we have given it up. We have become the very thing that we hate. And so that's where that bill or that quote comes from. And I just thought that it was quite interesting. I've had uh, some interesting discussions about this quote in particular. 
and how some were saying that, oh, uh, well, clearly it means that Franklin was very, very, very pro-taxation. Uh, there is some evidence to suggest that he was uh, in favor of things like property tax, but that's not to say that he was pro-taxation, you know, a pro an obscure amount of taxation or an arbitrarily high amount of taxation. Uh, the bill that he describes sending to the governor, the last bill, uh, has several exemptions that the crown could have authorized, um, which it sounds to me very conservative. It's like, look, I'm trying to bear with you here, but you're not helping us. We're trying to give you what you're wanting because we want to fund the guys out on the frontier too, but we've done everything that we can possibly do. We have exhausted all of our abilities in, in what we're authorized to do in the legislature. Um, but anyway, I thought that that was very interesting, and I hope that uh, hope you learned a little bit about this quote. Uh, if you have a question that you would like answered on the podcast, or if you would like to come on yourself, please reach out to me on Twitter or email me at uh, Derek at LoneStarGR.com. Please subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends, family, and uh, everybody else that you can. And until next Monday, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production. Hosted and edited by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2018.